So the kid that my mother hit in the head with a hammer was Jim Morrison. Hi, my name is Joel Miller, and today we are listening to my podcast, Party Like a Rock Star. We're brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an L.A.-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese spreads on the market today. They're delicious and healthy, made from a cashew and almond milk, and blended with various locally sourced fresh herbs, vegetables, and spices. No vegetable oils, soy, fillers, starches, or nutritional yeast. Yeah. So, so, so here's the deal. Like Frank is in my normal spot when I'm doing something. So I gave him the better room because <laughs> yeah. we're bros. <laughs> and uh, I, if there's bleed coming through, I hope there isn't. But there's, it's pretty noisy outside. So little thanks. So apologies, but that's our setup here. No, no worries. You're golden. I, I don't hear anything. I think it's good. When well, I thought when I heard you say Frank, I thought you were talking about your dad. And I'm kind of like, used to have. I'm a, I'm a, he lives in the room. <laughs> well, still... he kind of does. This yeah. whole place, you know, Amit and I grew up together. Uh, we we could talk about this on the show, but a quick aside is that a lot of the stuff from their house is in his office. So the first time I came over here, it was kind of like walking into a slight variation of the place that, you know, his house that we grew up at. Yeah. Uh, so in a way, Frank is here. But when I was a kid, I would go up to Amit's gate and I would bring the buzzer and I'd be like, it's Frank here to say Amit. And they'd be like, yeah, all right, kid, we get it, Joker. What's your real name? I'm like, no, I have Frank Meyer. Sorry. <laughs> never gets old, never gets old. <laughs> yeah. Right on. So that's how you guys met as you were like, you were buddies when you were little kids. Yeah. Well, uh, so his Frank's brother, Brecken, and I were in preschool together. So we oh, man. started that that early. So you're like family. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, anytime years can go by. And then when I see Frank, it is, it's all smiles. I mean, there's, I can't even tell you, there's so many shared moments and experiences that are, that are uh, either, you know, things that Frank did with my brother, things that Frank and I did together. Frank took me, uh, cause he's a little bit older than I am. It took me to see like, like first blood for the first time. Like we, nice. I became a Rambo fan nice. because Frank was like, dude, you want to go see this movie? You know? Um, and sometimes and, we will have these conversations about dumb movies and then yeah. like, we'll be realizing that we both saw them and then we kind of go like, Oh, I, we probably saw that together. I mean, why yeah. else would we both have such strong memories of Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin in 3D, except uh -huh. that we clearly both saw it together at the UA North Hollywood Six. Yeah, you're yeah. the only people in the theater. Yeah, yeah. Frank, Frank texted me the other day. He's like, what is this? It's just a still frame. I'm like, oh, that's that, I know what that is. That's from Superfoots. He's a super, super. He's a super, super. So like that makes us laugh and feel good about our friendship when I'm wondering, does anyone else like the same dumb shit that Frank and I like? Well, no, the answer to that is yes. No. Our friend, our friend, Tori Mel and oh, my yeah. brother, because the yeah. four people that I texted the super fuzz clip to it, all of them within 15 seconds came back with super fuzz, of course, yeah. like all of them. <laughs> yeah. In fact, Tori came back and this is really inside baseball. Tori came back with, dude, that's on my list of movies. I want to remake and reboot. He was dead serious. Yeah, well, you know, I don't think he's wrong. Tori, if you're listening or watching, Man, uh, you should make, you should remake. Uh, it is Superman. on my hit list here. I had you uh, talking about Fraggle Rock. Yeah. It'll happen, man. I like Fraggle Rock. Well, I have a, there's a funny story, which is, um, 
there's a song by my band, The Streetwalking Cheetahs. And in the middle of the song where there's this drum break and right before Why the drum break. Why don't you say my epic band? My epic band. Um, but right before this drum Oops. break in the on the album version, I go down a Fraggle Rock. And whenever we would do that, people would always go, did you name check Fraggle Rock in that song? And I go, well, yes, but there's a story behind that, which is Breck, <laughs> my younger brother, Brecken, who, you know, Amit and him were in the same grade. Brecken is a drummer. And when he started, he was, uh, you know, a little kid, but eventually he played in the very first version of the Streetwalk and Cheetahs. And he didn't really understand what a triplet was, and he didn't understand musical language to explain that. So in my attempt to explain to him how to make this break happen, I went, you know, like, down a fraggle rock. Da, ba, da, ba, da. And he was like, oh, you mean bra-ka-da-ka-da? And that was it. So I would cue him by saying that, and then it just made us laugh so much that it not only made the, the song, but it made the album version of the song. So there's it an works. actual fraggle rock reference in the very first Street Walk and Cheetahs record. Got to be I can, tell you, I can tell you how mysterious Brecken is. Uh, <laughs> do you know that um, I did not and I grew up with this guy. All right. Yeah. And I grew up with Frank. Do you know yeah. that I did not know that Brecken played drums until my 30s? <laughs> you know, like uh, I, and I he was in that. Tom Morello's. He was in Tom Morello's band. So it's not even mm-hmm. like he, I mean, he was in a fairly but he would never talk about it. Oh, maybe you just didn't care, guys. Well, that's clearly. Yeah, no, I I just that's like a weird thing that never really kind of came up in our in our friendship. Uh, You know, uh, I mean, I knew that he would appreciate the drums, but I actually didn't know. I've still never heard him play or seen him play other than in in videos that he's in, you know, in Tom Morello's band, as an example. But uh, yeah, I've always loved Fraggle Rock. I got involved uh, on the feature film side years ago um, and tried to get that going. You know, that was a real passion project. I was working on early development, wrote the story for the uh, for a version of the film, uh, brought in That's cool. uh, other, uh, you know, other, you know, uh, partners on that. And uh it kind of got stuck in development hell with the with the Weinstein company, and I hope I don't need to explain why that might be like development hell <laughs> when you're mentioning <laughs> no. the, the Weinstein's. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's still a project I love, and they're doing some cool stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, the Henson legacy is so rad, so rad, so um, so cool, so cool. And I looked it yeah. up. I was trying to see if your dad ever did anything with him. And I couldn't find anything. Well, my 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 dad and Jim cross paths for sure. Um, but my I, I guess familial change. relationship to to the Hensons is really through you know, Lisa Henson is an extraordinary human. She, you know, um Jim's Jim's daughter, one you know, one of the kids. And you know, um there's I don't know. It felt very, very comforting to be in her presence. She's, she's you know, really, really wonderful. And she took a, you know, took a chance on me and working on, on Fraggle Rock, which I'm super appreciative of. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, I don't, I don't know the destiny of a feature, but they're doing some pretty great stuff that I am not involved in uh, around a, a, a reboot with, with, I think with Apple, you know, there's a new series coming out. Are they keeping the doozers intact? Will we still have tiny little construction workers? Well, so they did a doozers TV show that was pretty, 
pretty cool. You know, I, I mean, I have a, I have kids, so I was stoked that there was anything new at anything from Henson yeah. ever I'm into. So yeah. when, when the doozers CG show came out, it's all about, you know, it's, it's fun. Like, you know, again, did I, I miss this? This, this came out. There's already a doozer show. I can watch yeah. this now. I don't yeah. know. Either. What? Yeah. I yeah, love yeah I love you, you guys, I guess you just, you know, you're not real Henson nerds. Well, or maybe they're just not marketing that particular show so well, because, you know, who else is the audience but these three nerds right here? Uh, kids. <laughs> kids. Oh, kids. little kids. Oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. A not immature yeah. adults. <laughs> do, do, do you think it's awkward that we haven't established like uh, that we're that we're we're already like what three glasses in on well, uh, sure on this oh, hey, look at look at this look at this guy cracking open a brewski i'm a hair i'm hair of the dog i'm hey. dying i love that we just jumped in there wasn't even like hey welcome to the show you didn't do any of that stuff at I all wrote Joel. It, though i wrote it hold on here all right you want to backtrack that <laughs> yeah we I come in late a few times this isn't the first i think i, I just like i didn't think either one of any introduction but i am going to introduce frank's better because uh I got a funny haha for you. So Frank Meyer is the author of On the Road with the Ramones. When the Wall of Sound met the New York Underground, Van Halen and Visual History, 1978 to 1985, and From Dude to Dad, The Diaper Dude Guide to Pregnancy. As a vocalist, he's worked with James Williamson from Iggy and the Stooges, The Streetwalk and Cheetahs, The Antivirals, Blind House Thor, Wario Soul, and, and with Super Suckers frontman, Eddie Spaghetti. He's directed the film Risen, the story of Kron Hell Raza Smith, and he's worked as a senior content producer at Fender Musical Instruments from 2016 to 2020. Amit Zappa is my second guest. He's an entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, film and television screenwriter, director, producer, musician, inventor. Wow. And the radio talk show host of Rock Tales on Sirius XM. See, I had, right. I had an intro. Boy, so you like, make us sound pretty impressive. Welcome. It is impressive. Well, you know, so my first question is good to be here. The uh, well, I didn't ask you that, but that's okay. <laughs> we already we already know. <laughs> I didn't say it was good to be here. I'm, I'm I'm disgruntled. I was gonna I'm gonna ask about your book. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's terrific to be here. There we go. All right. So the book here from uh, the Diaper Dude Guide to Pregnancy. Do you think we could do like a spinoff from like? for old people in diapers sort of like rock stars that need diapers now yeah that's yeah like diaper idea. dads diaper dads uh, needing diapers well, again i did a spinoff of it the first book was called from dude to dad and it was everything that a man needs to know during the nine months that a woman is pregnant uh which is generally the time when men are just asking lots of questions because they don't know what the hell is going on but they're embarrassed or maybe they're getting you know they just they don't they feel like oh this is too stupid for me to ask so we kind of like laid all that out in sort of a fun anecdotal way and that book did really well so we actually wrote a follow-up to it called diaper dad which is sort of what you're saying in that it's it's taking helpless dads and telling them what to do for the first two years of a child which is not unlike what you would do in the last 10 years of an adult, meaning it's a lot of gingerly telling them what to do and putting them in diapers and hoping they don't tip things Except over. Saying like, and it all comes back to yeah. Fraggle Rock. But, right. but, but the only other thing I would say, because it's terrifying to a child to say this, but to, an, to a, hopefully to an adult, like, and soon 
you're going to die. Yeah. Don't worry. It'll all be over <laughs> soon. The pain will go away. You can't it's, say that to a kid. You can't, Ahmet, no? Yeah, no, you can't. This pillow that I'm putting over your Put face. Put that in the book. Put snuff, that in the book. To snuff your life is what is what the it's the Lord's work. <laughs> Maybe the third book should be about ending lives. You know, I've written two books about beginning lives. Maybe the third and really just take it full circle is just the, how to end a life. Yeah, the Jack Kevorkian sure. died. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Kevorkian here. Yeah. Or and the actually, Jack Death. The Jack I was just, Death. It just, it, I was, thank you, because I was about to go there. Yeah, yes. The, the Trancer's Guide to Killing. Yes. You, just yes. Call it, <laughs> you could just call it diaper, exclamation mark. Ooh, because totally. then it has a lot of meanings. Profound mm-hmm. as all hell. Amit, I'm just so happy that you're the first one to mention Trancers during this podcast, because I'm always the first one to drop a Trancers reference. Amit knows that Trancers is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, but see, I knew that. That's why yeah. I'm, that's why that that's that's what makes me a dick. That's why that, we're friends. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, put only it, I put it in there first. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait a second. That is a dick move. It is. I thought because, you were giving me a salute. I just realized you stole my, you literally just stole my thunder. I stole your thunder. What do I have to talk about now? <laughs> Nothing. All right. Other hard hitting question. <laughs> There's more. Cool. Amit, did you ever think about naming your kid Rick? No, no, I didn't. Uh, uh, I did not think about okay. naming my son Aero Dioro Leon Zappa Rick. Um, but Rick Zappa uh, here coming at you. Yeah, this just in. My name's <laughs> Rick Zappa, and I just want you to know that my name rhymes with dick. Uh, I am I uh, I'm super bummed out that there was a moment in my life where I thought that was a good idea. Oh, I was on to something because there was two options. I, I went to my parents and my my older brother, older sister, and I, you know, we had a family sit down and I, I informed them that like, you know, changes were going to happen. And I'm I'm adamant and I'm I'm serious about this. But I, I need I need it. I need some help. It's either going to be this name or that name. The first name, because I was sick and tired of people call, calling me Amit Vomit. My whole name is Amit Imuka Rodan Zappa, which sounds like a, you know, like a terrorist uh, name. So is Imuka really from like Muka the artist? Imuka um, is actually uh, a name my my dad used. Uh, uh, for an orchestra on one of his earlier records. Okay. It's a part, part of the name of a, of an, of a. And Rodan is the artist. Rodan is not the artist. Rodan is a monster from Godzilla. That's right. Big rubber monster bird, a pterodactyl that would destroy Tokyo. A pterodactyl Uh, with feet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. right. But all pterodactyl, all birds have feet. Frank, the newsflash. I know, but like, they're not, but like normal bird feet have like, Claws, no, what hook. do you mean nor- normal bird feet book. birds have feet bro rodan rodan has feet we could do the really flying camel feet uh, never mind let's not get into this hole i'm i'm we also just i'm also just noticing again <laughs> i'm also just noticing frank that uh for this for those of you who are who are watching this for, for whatever reason you <laughs> have two omit zappas on your show joel i know you oh, yeah. doubled <laughs> Your name, it's only me who sees. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I'm what I'm seeing is like two omits app is like underneath He's Frank Meyer's everywhere. Game. He's yeah. everywhere. So, anyway, sorry, your story. So, you were, uh, you're so, like, no. yeah, I hated my name. 
um, you know, Amit Vomit, you know, teased relentlessly about it, just, you know, wasn't into it. So uh, I was like, I gotta make a change. And I was really into Battlestar Galactica, as one should be as a child. Clearly, yes. And it's so I, fracking awesome. It's yeah. so fracking awesome. Uh, and I thought Starbuck Zappa would be really cool. My older sister's name is Moon, which is super dope. You know, Dweezil has a name that kind of sounds like that the weird dog robot on the show, you know? <laughs> but put a lot but, of thought uh, into this. Yeah, I was like, I think my, I, my name should have been Starbuck. And, and, then I, and then I realized, like, well, no. If people are making fun of Amit, oh, Amit Vomit, Starbuck. and they realize... I named myself after a character from Battlestar Galactica, then that's going to be even worse. And I, not, I, wait, can we curse on your show? Oh, sure. Okay, then not to mention Starfuck. I was not, that didn't <laughs> dawn on me, okay? It would and dawn on me immediately. And neither did my second choice of names, which was Rick. Because Rick, Rick, is, a, Rick is a powerful name. Rick, I love Rick. <laughs> Rick, Good. there's so much, so much that that a rick can do and um and let me tell you where i got that name because our house was under construction and there was a guy who basically was wearing you know cowboy cut off daisy dukes and a cowboy hat <laughs> and uh, i i was outside and i guess he was on break or just simply decided not to work but our swing set he was on the swings and he did a flip off the swings so like, uh. oh my god like rick is, a, is the boss <laughs> rick is a boss did he have his so, balls hanging out of his little he, shorts there? i mean i don't know it's, look i don't know what his sexual preference is i'm guessing that he was he was someone who who might enjoy um the uh Uners? might enjoy having a jacuzzi with another man the company but, of men sure and uh which is totally cool but i was it, like super into this guy Right. I, I like it was like, it, like when I would see him out the window, it was like <laughs> the, he was just harnessing the power of the sun. Ah, like he was a fucking angel. Okay. Mom, 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 Rick's here. <laughs> yeah, so you're it, saying it, you it, almost named your kid off a construction worker that just happened to be on a swing at your no, house? No, I was not naming my kid. No, this. Wanted I himself. wanted, I, I saw you this be, guy. Oh, you wanted to be named. Yeah. It. So his name was Frank's trying to be you. Yeah, so yeah, you know, catch up, catch up here, Frank. There's so, a lot of information going on here. His dad so, did an interview at some point in time, and he uh, they asked him, I don't know what actually, but part of the interview was, "Do your kids like their names?" And so he he said, uh, "Well, Amit wants to be called Rick." And so and I'm, I'm telling you the origin story of of that uh, of that moment, story, that, Frank. That, yeah, the the backstory. So um, this guy Rick, he would eat. Uh, Frank, you're going to love this reference. The he would order chili enchiladas from All American Burger. Oh, that's nice. Do you remember those things, Frank? They're so good. So I too would order chili enchiladas <laughs> from All American Burger so that I could eat them <laughs> with Rick. <laughs> so, so I, I mean, I love this guy, and he's like, "What's up, little man?" He's like, like Wooderman from, well, what was that? Uh, from um, Days of Confused. From Days of Confused. Yeah, he's he's hey, totally, he, he totally like Svengali. What was he working on? What was he doing to the house? Or was Rick was, just employed? He, 
He was building the utility muffin research kitchen. He was building. Oh, so you the, were very young for this. Very young. Yeah, because I mean that that had to have been the seventies, right? I mean this would no because this is when I was early eighties. Going to elementary school, I was probably in second or third grade. So this, you know, it's it was like six or seven. I mean, you, I've known Amit. We've known each other most of our lives. And I feel like the first time I went to your house, oh, I know for sure that the studio was already built. And that Bro, would have been maybe don't, 84. Or don't something? you remember we would climb the scaffolding, like a three-story, four-story scaffolding. Oh. And there would be all the sand <laughs> in the front of the house. And we we thought this was non sequitur we thought when cars drove by that they would believe we were statues and like total dumbasses we're, we're lucky we're not dead we would pretend to be a statue and then drop off of like a four stories of scaffolding into the sand pit no problem no problem go ahead kids you gotta roll <laughs> jump four stories into yeah you know stop well, I, had, I had a risk so anyways, long you had a Rick? Yeah, I had a Rick. I'm a little well, kid. And yeah. they were building my kitchen. They were doing like the utility room cabinets or something. And so the guy says to me, he's like, you know what you got to do with your life, kid? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, Rick. And he's all, he's like, you want to be a gynecologist? And I'm like, oh, I don't. Okay. So I go in and I talk to my mom, like, mom, I want to be a gynecologist because Rick says so. And my mom was livid because I'm like second grade. But what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, well, I. If this was a sitcom and this was on TV and that was the scene where, you know, you as a young kid goes in there, right? Then Rick would come from behind the corner and go, vagino mate! And we would all <laughs> laugh. Uh, but uh, so just finishing, just finishing my story about my personal Rick. Sorry. Uh, I was like, well, I don't, I don't want people, you know, thinking I'm copying Starbucks and Rick is so cool. <laughs> Rick is so cool. I want to become Rick, right? That's a fucking awesome, awesome name. So I, I tell my parents, I, w- I want to change my name to Rick. And they're like, are you sure? And so a deal was struck. Okay. I, I could try it for like a year. <laughs> I could go for it, but they're going to call me that. I have to stick to my guns. They're going to teach me a lesson. I think they knew what was going on. <laughs> I didn't see it. I, I didn't, I couldn't see, you know, into the future. Uh, but I was like, okay, great. We're, I, I can, you're cool with this. I can, I can call myself. You're like, Rick. my name's Rick. No one could ever make fun of that. Yeah, exactly. I had no idea. Did you keep getting the enchiladas? Oh yeah. Until all American burger closed, which was a sad day. Um, okay. but, uh, I was so committed. I asked my brother to draw on my new like denim mead book binder, which was a ritual for us in the, in the like, I think for a lot of kids, you know, in the seventies and eighties, you'd go get all your supplies. And, you know, if you were cool uh, in like, like we thought in our household, the Trapper cool keeper. thing to do was to draw, right. Yeah. Some cool new thing, you know, like Van Halen logos. And, and my brother is a great artist. So I was like, Dweezil, please, can you please draw my new name is Rick in big block letters on my mead, on my mead book binder. And so he he looked at me. He's five, my brother's five years older than me, so he 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 knows what's going to happen. He's like, "Oh yeah, absolutely, I got you, I got oh, yeah, you, bro. No, no, no problem. As big as you could fit, my new name is Rick on my bookbinder." 
Okay. I was so happy. I was like, unbelievable job. I'm like, he's spending so much time. The, the, the pride I felt, I was like, my, my brother loves me so much. He's doing this. He never does stuff like this for me. Like <laughs> he would never stab me in the back. <laughs> <laughs> totally. This is, oh my God. He loves me. So, so he fucking does an unbelievable job. Like, like Da Vinci couldn't do a better job, but my brother handles it. My new name is Rick. And I go to school. Oh, let me just say, I thought you were going to say that he handed it back to you and the R was a D and he just like, taking oh, it over. no, I no, 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 this no, no, no he, he kept saying, are you sure? Right. <laughs> and I supervised the whole thing. I was like, this is incredible. Dude. I mean, it was like such, it was like in heavy metal magazine, like rock and roll font, right? It was awesome. And so I go to school and I'm like holding this thing, like, my new name is Rick. Can't you tell? Like, check it out. And within two seconds, they're like, what's up, Rick the dick? And that really fucked my whole world up Oh, for two reasons. I know it's inappropriate, but at that time, at the same time that I want to change my name to Rick the dick and didn't realize this or remember this, <laughs> but the second they said Rick the dick, that happened. I remembered the movie starring Tom Hanks, Bachelor Party, Oh yeah, because I watch it all the all the time. Because Tony Katane takes him out, and that's so awesome. So and she's, awesome. you know, God bless. She, I miss her. She's a great actress. You know, I, I shouldn't m- maybe be saying that, but I was in love with her. I mean, sure. no, later on to that. find her dancing on we all on were Jaguars, <laughs> the hottest of all time. Oh God, you know, on 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 cable. You know, this was a movie that ran, and that scene with Rick the Dick, where they, they I guess these women go to you know Chippendales. And this guy, Rick, puts his penis in a hot dog bun and a girl is pulling it, right? I associated that only in that moment. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I can't be Rick the dick. And in a loop, I played that scene from Bachelor Party in my head, you know? Um, So I was was miserable. I, I said, you know, mom, dad, moon, dweezil. Yeah, we got this. This can't continue. This can't happen. And they're like, no, Rick, your name is Rick. And for a year, they basically (laughs) called me Rick. So that is the longest way. You're good to be on the show. See you guys later. That was the longest story in history. Great to have. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Joel. Thank you for having me. I got to be honest. I really feel like if my little brother came up to me and said, I want you to write Rick on my notebook, I would have been like, oh, I got you. And that R would have become a D and I just would have uh-huh. handed him his notebook and sent him off to school. I feel like Dweezil saved you in a way and let you, again, learn the lesson for yourself. Did your brother stick up oh, 100%. for school or no way? Did my brother stick up for me in school? Um, I, I mean... I, I mean, I think my answer would be yes, but I don't know that there was, you know, it wasn't like I was. Yeah, I didn't get I mean, a lot of crap. We, we grew up in the yeah, valley. There wasn't there wasn't that much heat where we went to school. <laughs> you know, it, there wasn't a lot of bullies at country school. And you know. honestly, my biggest bully is was my older brother. So like, like oh. you know what I mean? Like he kind of had that I, sticking up for me. I mean, I think he actually probably did or would have. Um but what I mean by like my biggest bully would be like, you know, we have stupid family squabbles, which, well, you know, uh, Amit, we always talk normal. We always talk about this. Uh, Dweezil had like a rocket pitching arm. Like he was, if he hadn't gone into guitar, he probably would have become a pitcher. He was really good. He, he we, absolutely they tried to pay him yeah. in little league to actually play in little league, 
yeah, for real. Like, he was scouted. He was Incredible a ridic- athlete. ridiculous athlete. And yeah. and Amit and I, what's the word I'm looking for? Weren't. And so, <laughs> yeah, no, we you would, were better than me for sure. Well, but you between you, me and my brother, Brecken, all of us were kind of essentially shrimps, you know, strength wise compared to Dweezil. And so we would go uh, and we would play. Um, it was called was suicide was the game, right? Yeah. And yeah. it was essentially like kids play. Yeah. And 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 basically the penalty, if you didn't, you know, sort of touch the wall before the ball got thrown in suicide is that whoever, you know, did in the butt, like you'd have to lean down and which was fine if it was someone with normal strength. You got you got cut off for one second. Yeah, you got cut off. Sorry. But uh, go ahead. So so suicide is this game that you I'm maybe goes by other names. but you you play you play it against a wall. You throw a racquetball or a tennis ball against it, right? And you have to you know catch it. But if you drop it for whatever reason, you have to run as fast as you can to and, and touch the wall uh, because if someone picks up the ball, they have the right to throw it at you. <laughs> Kind of remember this. I remember this in elementary which, school. Which, if you were like a normal kid with normal strength, like, oh, I got hit with a you know a tennis ball, big deal. Except yeah. that that his older brother had like this rocket all star. He, he, he was the John Wick yeah, of, and, of this he game. Was, and he would yeah. like aim for like your head. You know what I mean? So like, I mean, yeah, it was- here, here's the thing: it's like, all right, what, what do you want me to pick off right now? Do you want me to just just do your earlobe? You want the elbow? finger elbow whatever it is he had pinpoint accuracy he had like a, like a the six million dollar man laser pointer sight your little sister diva told me a story about this where she she you also if like there was a penalty thing where you had to just stand against the board and get beamed i forget why you would warrant that penalty at, at three at, at three times if you get Beamed three times, I suppose, by dropping it, right? Then it becomes the firing squad where everyone who's playing gets to throw the but ball. I remember but, the details of this. But, I remember the game now, but I would Diva, never remember the game Diva, or the details. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Diva told me, I don't think I'm talking out of turn because this is a comedic story, but Diva told me that one time she was in that position and the Dweezil threw it so hard, it hit her in the head and that her head then rebounded against the board that we were playing on. So she basically got beamed in the head and then that force of that smashed her head into the wall. Of course, we were all boys. so We probably hysterically laughed while she. Oh, out. yeah. But le- but let's also <laughs> talk about just just what a like a sensei, what a total master, suicide master. My brother was. It, so if you got the firing squad, then you, what you could do is figure out a way that you could position yourself or you could try to just, you know, take it maybe, like a man, maybe get out of the way, I suppose. Right. Hey, like, I just um, but 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 you know if you left the, the the littlest opportunity to throw the ball let's say you know underneath your legs to have it bounce off the floor hit the backboard and then into your testicles yeah. that was going to happen yeah Remember, I it's bad. So we'll say, uh, remember, smear the blank. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. That, that was a that different was kind of a game. That's where you, you, it was called. I mean, the game. You know, I played it. It's a terrible name. Smear the. I mean, I think you can say it, but it's it, called it's, smear the queer. But I mean, I know it's bad now. I don't know, but at the same the 80s time, were a very homophobic time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously, it, when you think about it, it's but horrible. The, but that game was you just awesome. people decided to. 
whoever had the object, you could play it with a ball, you could play it with anything. As long as you're holding this thing, people Frank can attack you. Teddy bears. Right? That's what it was. Like it was like whoever was brave enough to hold this object and everyone could just beat you up. Yeah, it's a real technical game. game. Real technical. Yeah, you know, I forgot about that game, and now that you think about it, it just sounds like gang violence. Yeah, that's what it is. All right, important stuff. Important, important. Yeah. John Wick is still cruising. Rambo's Mm -hmm. getting old. Mm -hmm. Body count gonna be right now. Rambo's winning. Is John Wick gonna take over the Rambo body count? Well, I, I don't know what the will be. I was more on the ball. I would have. I was trying to bring this up with Ernie C from Body Count, but the mm-hmm. timing was just so perfect. Yeah. I, By I, the way, big I, shout out to Ernie C. He's a buddy of mine and an awesome dude and great guitar player. Oh, right on. I like Ernie a lot. I, I bet you Rambo holds the title, but just because oh, he holds the title right now. I, that I know. But yeah. he might be going down, dude, because I think John Wick's here to stay. He might get a couple more movies. Did you guys see that yeah. last Rambo movie from about eight years ago? It's just called John Rambo. I think it actually came out as Rambo, but it's sort of just known as John Rambo. Yeah, it's not the one. It's not the super conservative, like, let's kill all the people at the border one he released a few years ago, which was not so it was very off putting to me. I didn't see about, the last two. The Rambos. last one, the last Rambo is, in my personal opinion, awful because mainly it's got a big political agenda and it's really all about like let's kill people at the border so i was not very on board with that message that being said the one before that that he made about eight ish ten years ago which was essentially called john rambo that movie is a return to first blood it has none of that like rah-rah america stuff he's not shirtless he's not none of that stuff it is a hardcore action movie and in that movie if you guys haven't seen it that movie i feel like he kills more people in that movie than all the other rambo movies combined that movie there's what i like to call meat grenades which is he throws a grenade into a bunch of motherfuckers and it explodes and then they just have meat rain down in the scene i'd never seen that before yeah. there's raining of human body parts in meat in quality that set quality cinema <laughs> it's the war movie i've ever seen outside of trauma's war yeah, which is a know, solid movie. Solid movie. Yeah, is it? Isn't that? What's the trauma movie that's like? I mean, isn't everything in a dystopian future? That, but oh, that class tra- of Newcom High. Is that what you're thinking of? That's Maybe. a dystopian punk well, rocky future. Well, and what? Who made Frank? Sorry to take over your show for your show for a second, Joel. Who made? Who made? <laughs> um, uh, so, someone's got to do it properly. Who, who who made the movie? I forget what it's called. It's like something waste in Frank's like, time in like Frogtown. Oh, uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown with Roddy Piper and Sh- yeah. and Shannon. Oh no, it's not Shannon. Tweed. It's like a, it's like some that's girl Amazon. Was a, that, that's a Amazon women in the avocado sports illustrated like person, right? Yeah, it it, like it's a, like a playmate and Roddy Piper, and it's called Hell Comes to Frogtown, and it's quite good. Because it it's like. It's like weird special effects and stuff. Very like, a lot I mean, of there's creature. frog man. Yeah. yeah. That's what I I'm watch- thinking about doing next is bringing on uh, porn chicks or porn stars and having them um, rate beer from brewmakers and have the brewmaker guy just sit there and listen to it. <laughs> I like okay. it. It's I mean, I, I think there's probably an audience for that in Germany, you know, and other places. And other places. Uh- I'll just throw one more out. As long as you brought up Frogtown, um, mm-hmm. Amit, is I watched recently, you know, for the first time in years, um, 
Amazon Women in the Avocado Jungles of Death, which stars a young Bill Maher and Shannon I, Tweed. I have never oh heard of that movie or seen that movie. It's it's phenomenal, and you'll love. It's better than Frogtown, actually. Is it better than Sorority Sisters and the Slimeball Bolorama? Bolorama or? Uh, it's better. Not as really? much boobies, but it's really solid. No, because Uncle Impy in, in uh, Slimeball Bolorama is he's a comedic genius. I have that on DVD and Blu-ray, my friend. As, as do, I think I have it on Laserdisc, bro. Ooh. I have Laser Blast on Laserdisc. I used to collect the... Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Joel. We could go this on. Is, this is all day. Sorry. <laughs> Laser just don't sell for shit anymore, man. It's unless they're the Japanese ones. Joel, are you in LA? Are you yeah. an LA native? Where, where in, are you? I was born in England, raised in the Valley. I live in Tarzana now. Raised in the Valley. So, so, so how long have you been in LA though? Since, uh, since I was three years old. Okay, dude. So did you go to like the Fango conventions like we would go to and like collect like horror movie shit or, or no, you weren't. No, my guy. parents wouldn't take us out. <laughs> Actually, as a kid, we would go to like American Indian tribal stuff like super cultural type things i don't know what well, happened. that is the they, exact they opposite in, they, of what Amit and i were doing yeah, yeah, what they, they put Nothing. you in a yurt and, yeah, and they would, you. yeah they would like isn't this nice like this is great hey, a funny quick little fangoria fest uh anecdote is so uh my brother and i our stepdad was an entertainment lawyer and he represented all all sorts of people in, in show business and at one point he was representing easy e during i think when him and dr dre were charged with uh throwing uh journalist d barnes down a flight of stairs and um so we brecken and i went to fangoria fest and lo and behold there's easy e with his entourage mm -hmm. and we were like oh my god it's easy e and we thought we have an in our dad's representing him like we could go up to him and we have something legitimate to say. Now, this time, my brother was had already been in like Nightmare on Elm Street and a bunch of movies and stuff. But like we were like, easy, he's not going to care about any of that. So we just went up to him and we're like, hello, Mr. E. Uh, I'm Frank and this is my brother, Brecken. And uh, our, our dad, uh, Robert Dudnick, is uh, your attorney. So we thought we'd say hi. And he looked at us totally serious and he goes, <laughs> Uh, I got a lot of attorneys, kids. You got to narrow it down. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no idea. That's interesting. About. <laughs> giving him a beer or giving him a joint. Then he would have been your buddy. I feel like what he was really saying is like white Jewish attorney representing me at this moment. You got to be more specific. Named named Bob. Like, I don't know who the fuck you're talking. Yeah, about. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Excuse me, Mr. E. Excuse me, Mr. E, sir. Did you ever meet Tom Jones on it? Oh yeah, that's cool. Oh fuck yeah, I did. For I real? love that guy. Oh yeah, he um, <clears throat> he actually came to the house, uh, you know, with with the uh, the chieftains, very friendly with. Oh yeah, with dude, great. Uh, but but Tom, still to this day, one of my all time favorite male vocalists, a powerhouse. Um, you know, if you go back in any archival footage of him and and the sh like him as a performer, him as a TV personality, you know, his energy, his ability to dance and sing, you know, he's 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 super crazy awesome. But I, I, I think his connection to, um, you know, local heritage music, um, I mean, just the fact he likes the Chieftains and some of these kind of classic songs that are you know 
more, I guess, uh, I forget where he's from, like Welsh or, or Scottish yeah, Welsh. or, you know, some, well, some if, of these. If I can jump, what, what was the connection? Did he end up there because he and Frank had a connection or was it through the chieftains? Like, how did they all end up there at the house? You know, it, I don't, I don't have a good answer for you. Other than like, like in, in my, this could totally be totally wrong. Cause I'm terrible with times and dates, but uh, my mother knew Tom from back in the day before. I think she was even with Frank. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think they were hanging out and there's, you know, I, I don't think they dated or anything like that, but maybe that could have happened. Um, <clears throat> but I do, I do know that there was something that went down in a hotel room and, uh, you know, my, my mother was like, um, locked herself in the bathroom was like, I gotta get out of here. So I, I don't know th- those exact details, but, you know, so later on, it was interesting to have, you know, everyone hanging out, um, at, at the house. Now I'm also inebriated, uh, from having a lot of booze. So this could also maybe didn't happen at all. Okay. So th- that's, that's, on, that's also likely. So I will say what I'm saying. In your defense, Amit, that uh, the Zappa house back then certainly um, was always sort of full of like a cavalcade of people that you just wouldn't even expect to be at each, you know, like there would be sort of like a, there'd be some actors and some rock stars and some music executive people and some theater people and some producers, not necessarily all the time, but it wouldn't be unusual to walk into sort of like the kitchen filled with a bunch of random you know, sort of celebrities or personalities or whatever. But at that time, it wasn't unusual. And in that context, they were all sort of family friends. So if I would walk in the room and there'd yeah. be like Mindy Cohn from Facts of Life standing next to Amir <laughs> yeah. Rock from Rough Cut standing next to Stephen Piercy. And then Frank would be there holding court with Rudger Howard or something. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and like, or, and maybe like a polit or a politician, maybe, you know totally. what I mean? Like, and they'd all be sort of just in the kitchen chit chatting. And it might seem like this very bizarre see, collection see, of folks, but it didn't at the moment because they were all friends with Gail or Frank or someone. So th- this is, this is what I'm unsure of. And I, I want to say that Tom was there, that, that that's my like honest answer, but let me, let me kind of like, you know, roadmap it to, to why I think this. So uh, been a, been a fan, you know, I, I think I'm the only person in the household that was discovering his tracks and buying his records. Right. Cause it wasn't like I was exposed to it, but I, I heard somehow I heard what's uh, what's new pussycat. And I just, flipped out for for that particular track <clears throat> then started buying all of his records and my brother and i went on uh conan o'brien when that was a when he had a talk show uh on on nbc and i did like my own version of a you know tom jones impersonation because i'd seen videos of his dancing and how rad he is and blah 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 blah, blah. but they somehow organized getting tom to call in to the show and I, I flipped out, right? So I think that was my first encounter kind of just connecting with him. And then I, I now here's the part that's sticky. I, I recall that my, my dad was alive, but maybe, maybe not, right? Because then the Chieftains would hang out. Uh, my dad really loved the Chieftains. We became friends with, with that group somehow. And Tom was someone who would perform with them. And I, I just have this recollection of somehow Tom coming over and I, I maybe he hung out with Frank. Maybe Frank had already passed. Uh, maybe just the fact that the chieftains were like, we spend time with Tom. And maybe because I met Tom via 
telephone on on uh on a talk show maybe that's why i think oh yeah i've met the guy but uh, you know i think that uh, i think he came over with his son who's his manager and i think he did he i just remember him being in the basement and um nice guy i mean is that is that a terrible answer i don't fucking know joel I, I feel like told, told <laughs> answer. Better answer. i don't know i don't know i don't know i'm being honest he was great. I just like I love I, I love him. There's like a roadie thing, and I was like, man, that guy's like, you know, Iggy Iggy Pop's such a good front man. This guy, you know, Scott Weiland was such an amazing punk. And this guy would always be like, dude, you ever see Tom Jones? Because Tom Jones it's is true. shit. And it's Tom true. Jones if you go to see Tom Jones, he's the shit. <laughs> I've seen him perform a bunch of times, and you know, when he when he's doing like I guess other people's music, which he would kind of do quite frequently. Um, one of the best. You know, I don't know if it was in Vegas or or at the Universal Amphitheater when there used to be a Universal Amphitheater, if memory serves. Anyways, him doing Purple Rain, the whole lighting setup, it would be just purple lights and him crushing it, the vocals on that so hard. Uh, you know, I feel I, it gets me emotional thinking about it. The house growing up, uh, there are a ton of visitors, a lot of energy. Um, my mom and dad, you know, were very generous with their time. And, you know, Frank can tell you as kids, when people would be by, like we'd roll into the studio, you know, we, we could tell that like, oh shit, we shouldn't be here right now. But it, but it was always like, oh, come say hi. Like, Hey, I'm Ahmed or this is Frank or like, Hey, sorry to interrupt. But you'd be like, oh my God, that was like so-and-so and so-and-so. I mean, it was, yeah. it was pretty great. If Frank was recording and because what was above the studio, we could like play like tennis or skateboard or use a pogo stick. That's when you, you know, we would get into trouble because, you know, it would show up on a recording because we were being too loud. But other than that, it was I had uh, sold some artwork for Anthony Hopkins, the actor guy. Right. He's Welsh, too. So selling some stuff for Anthony Hopkins. And we got invited to go to his New Year's Eve party. And Tony's like grandpa. He's an old guy and he's crotchety like grandpa. So we're going to go there. We're kind of lagging and uh, he doesn't drink. He's been in AA for friggin' ever. So whenever I'd see me like, you know, Joel, you need to quit drinking. And I'd be, and I was the only one who wasn't really on his payroll who would hang out. And, mm-hmm. and, and I told him, I'm like, well, you know, Tony, I, I kind of heard you party pretty friggin' hardcore and you're a young guy. And he'd be like, you need to quit drinking. I'm like, I mean, you have no booze at your party, Tony. There's nobody here drinking. But he was a cool guy. So we're going to New Year's party and he's got mm-hmm. all these big name people at the house and stuff. And then we get a call and they're like, Tony's pissed off. Party's off. And it's like five minutes till midnight. So Martin Sheen was there and some other people like that. So it's five minutes to midnight. Party's off. Tony's pissed off and everybody's got to go. So everybody's really mad because everyone's got to leave. Where are you going to go now? We got five minutes till the clock, whatever. And um, the reason why was because Mickey Rooney was there. And he was pissing on the front line. So, so he cruises out. And the, so the big joke was, you know, the party was, the party was cut because of Mickey's dicky. That's, that's listen, you invite Mickey awesome Rooney story. to a, yeah, you Don't invite, Mickey Rooney, invite to, Mickey Rooney to a goddamn party. Yeah. You invite Mickey Rooney. It's going to go crazy. I mean, anyone who has spent any time in Passamaquoddy can't be invited to a party. Anyone get the Pete's Dragon reference? Uh, yeah. So. I sure did. Yeah. I, I will say that um, th- their household was like a really fun sort of creative place uh, in that all the kids 
were very creative and and obviously Frank was very creative, but it, it wasn't just that like like, of course, you know, there was a recording studio in the house and and like Ahmed said, like Frank, unless unless there was some maybe a tense moment or something like the kids were always welcome down yeah. there. And so, you know, I had just started tinkering around on guitar when I started hanging out with with Dweezil and Ahmet. Well, I mean, again, at their house, I knew him for years before that. But but by the time I came to the house, you know, like I didn't really even understand what how records were made or anything until yeah. I was sitting in Frank Zappa's recording studio. And then a few years later, Dweezil was making his records there. And a few years later, Amit and Dweezil had a band and they were making their records or they were had this Joe's Garage, which was the accompanying studio. But the even before all that, you know, you'd mentioned this earlier, Amit, is that like like his brother was a really good artist and Amit was always a super creative kid and Moon was very creative and Diva was creative. They were all very creative. So like when you go over there, like at my house, there wasn't any creativity going on unless it was in my room when I was listening to Van Halen records, trying to learn how to play guitar. But you'd go to the Zappa's house and like every room somehow had this like energy and creativity and forgetting even about the obvious things like, oh, there might be like celebrities or famous people there. That actually was not nearly as interesting to me as just the overall temperature of the house, which was just bubbling over with energy and creativity. And as a kid, like that was kind of incredible. You did know, because I there was nowhere else that was like that for me when I was a kid. You know, did either one of you guys? Did you have music that you liked as a kid that your families were like, "What the fuck? Can you please stop playing that?" Yeah. All of yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> all of it. <clears throat> for well, I mean, my parents like I don't know about you. I mean, Ahmed's parents were pretty musically uh, adventurous, and my parents like classic rock and folk. So as soon as I started listening to Motley Crue and Slayer, they were just like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, but I, I don't know, Ahmed. The the bigger sort of like, what are you listening to person was was not necessarily my parents. It was more my brother. Right. So, uh, he, he, you know, there was a real at a certain point, there was a real attitude about who was a guitar hero. Right. So we could all agree, obviously, that, my, you know, my brother and I thought Frank, I, I think it's safe to say that, you know, we think Frank is one of the greatest guitar players of all time. Um, but my brother was really into Van Halen. He was really into Randy Rhodes. And he taught me to love those bands. He introduced me to those bands. And I still love those bands. But I then went down the road of like, wait a second, I'm fully into Eric Clapton. And my my brother, I remember him giving me shit for, you know, liking that. And that kind of felt that was a bummer, you know, to have someone kind of judge you for, you know, music that you were that you were into. And, and, you know, that those are kind of like momentary things, but I remember, you know, I bet you, I, I have no idea if my brother even likes Eric Clapton or kind of got into any of their bands that he was into, but, uh, you know, like even just recently, maybe I was telling you this, Frank, on the Eric Clapton front, this is the first year I started getting into JJ Kale's records. Oh, hell yeah. And, and I knew that Eric covered those songs. I never uh, you know, knew that there were there were other recordings of those songs. Yeah. And shame on me, because if you want to so get into something fucking awesome, listen to J.J. Kale's version of cocaine mm -hmm. or J.J. Kale's version of, you know, after midnight. Yeah. After midnight. And and, you know, th that's an experience. Those records are phenomenal. So, so good. Yeah. So he was he was like the edgier version, like like 
Clapton, I feel like took those those great songs and kind of made these more polished sort of commercial versions of them. And then when you hear the kale versions, they're like a little edgier, a little rougher. You're like well, the songwriter oh. always has that totally. vibe. I don't, there, there's just there's more magic usually to it. You know, I, I think that it's really hard to cover a song successfully. I think it's very difficult yeah. to do. Like my, you know, like no one else in the in the household was listening to Bananarama or the Thompson Twins or Depeche Mode as much as I would, as an example. Like they were like, okay, but yep. I th- I think we can all agree we were all listening to Paul Young No Parlay. That was that album. Oh, yeah, I yeah. don't know, I don't know if and you know that follow up record too. Yeah, we, ba- the that, bass playing on that record is so good. rad. All There's fretless. So many, yeah. Yes, 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 and yes. Hold on, one term for you, sir. Cuckoo Karama. Karama. <laughs> yeah. Cuckoo Karama. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the Zappa documentary's been out for a little bit now. What's your favorite moment in the film? Oh, um, my favorite moment in the film. <clears throat> I, I, this is going to sound like a weird answer because I I hadn't seen it and it still grabs me to this to this day. I've seen the movie a bunch of times, so you know through the process, so much archival footage was preserved thanks to the fan base, which I'm internally you know grateful for, um, you know in in support of of making the film. But um, the you know when my dad was pushed off the stage at the Rainbow. Um, and you know because he was attacked by a fucking crazy fan uh that moment with you know frank recovering it's like twofold one that's so scary it makes me i have these intense feelings but there's this brief moment uh which makes me want to cry because it's frank is in so much you know pain in the recovery and he's hobbling but there's this one moment where frank is trying to cross the street and my mother is so protective and she holds her hand out to kind of like stop him from moving because cars are coming by. Um, it's like a, it's, it's so many emotions at the same time, because when we would sit in the front seat where my mother was driving 10,000 miles an hour, chain smoking, uh, she would do that same sort of protective move. So it's, I love seeing my mother being protective of Frank but at the same time, I hate that he was attacked. I hate that he's in pain. I hate that he was having to recover. <clears throat> so many things happened in that moment, but then also uh, is very familial in, in, and how my mother was that way with all of us as kids, you know, in her natural instinct to, to, that's to be a human shield, you know? Yeah. My so father that's, passed that's my away answer. young too. And uh, it's weird. I'll sit at a table and I'll just put my hands on the table and I'll look at my knuckles and I'll be like, oh, God, I have the same hands as my dad, which I don't. My dad was a car mechanic. So he had like right. big man hands. <laughs> I got these little writer guy. So what, what is that thing that makes you think that there's similarities there? How do you how do you connect that? I dot? don't know. But it's like the way that I just I put them on a table. I'll, I, I, maybe it's the way that he would put them on the table when he put his fork and right. knife down. It's, it's, but it's, it's not the way you're masturbating, right? That's not when you think that they're your dad's hands. Just making sure. <laughs> just want to clarify that, right? If you're clarifying that. I, know, uh, I masturbate so much. <laughs> I will just say, because I'm a, a big Frank Zappa fan, and I really, really loved the movie and thought Thanks Alex for trying Turner, to save the moment here. I appreciate it. You got it. I'm trying to pull <laughs> yeah, you guys out of the child masturbation. Yeah, yeah, this uh, is, that's a, this road is a bad, bad form. Bad form. Bad, so, bad. So, but 
I really love when Ruth Underwood is performing with Joe Travers doing uh, the Black Pages because yeah. there's this moment they have when they she's incredible. She's in, she's maybe my favorite sort of person to watch in that movie besides your, your dad because she's just so um, emotional and she obviously had this great relationship with him, but she's also very in reverence of him. And and yeah. sort of like Gail in that moment, like she's very sort of protective of the, like when she talks to him, she's very sort of feels like she's family. But I, there's that she moment when they when they finish that impossible piece of music and her and Joe have this shared moment of relief, like, oh, my God, we didn't fuck it up. That's so beautiful sort of um, as as just to watch. But I also love there's a brief moment in that movie of super eight footage, I think it is of you and the kids, maybe you and Moon or something, or you and Diva, like running around the kitchen table in the old version of the house. There's, it's one of the only scenes of the of of the kids in the whole movie, and you have some line. You're you're drawing something, and like Gail asks you something off camera. I don't, you know, the oh, scene I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 playing. Yeah, uh, I'm playing I'm playing a Bruce Lee video game on an IBM computer or Tapper or some some something off of a floppy disk. Right. And uh, <clears throat> so we, you know, I, I would I would sit there uh, often and and try to play these games. And, and I think my my parents are saying, hey, why don't you uh, basically to what you were saying earlier, be creative, do something other than playing that game. And um, you know, I kind of move over from the computer and there were all these bricks of clay so uh, is that the moment that you're talking about yeah yeah that is and i'm like I, you what do you want me to make you know and then say, say they said something like build something so that as an example my parents were i was always interested in claymation because of the amazing mr bickford a, a, a movie that my dad uh, collaborated on with with bruce bickford who recently passed it's extraordinary mm-hmm. um so because i showed an interest as an example in claymation, my my parents were like, you sure we'll we'll get you a bunch of clay. And I used to sit and sculpt and and I, you know, I haven't done that in a while, but uh it's good um, to do. Yeah, you know, so that's an example of my parents feeding our imagination. And instead of, and I think maybe what Frank was alluding to earlier, you know, there might be something where, okay, we're making bracelets or we're making clothes or we're yeah. It became Some. like, hey, hey, guys, we bought all these supplies. You want to come over and play in the sandbox? That was that was the usual. And I, I recognize that as a kid growing up that. Um, uh, you, and I see this as a father myself. Yeah, uh, it's it's as much as an experience that we can give people because it costs money to kind of get all those supplies. And I think a lot of parents maybe don't do that. Um, and that was something that was, you know, is instilled in me and, and we try to do that even with our own kids but also it's a pretty good um babysitter you know giving the giving uh an activity that can be done around a table actually allows you to kind of step away because you know that might be a couple of hours that your kids can be focused on something for quiet time or whatever but you know uh i i kind of think about that as a parent myself now of of you know that was a survival mechanism for my, for my mother because you know we have nannies right like when we when uh when i grew up my mother i didn't have nanny you know like maybe pamela debar was the, around for moon and uh, moon and dweezil not so much me I, I don't remember that so much but we there was four kids in the house and then it was moon and dweezil and all of us as a you know kind of you know hanging out i think 
uh, and then Diva came along. But really, it was uh, it was my mom who did who ran the business, took care of us. My dad didn't drive, you know. So you know, if she could create activities and have the more the merrier. And I realized this in my own household. I I don't know if you experienced this too as a father, Frank. But the more kids, it's it's almost easier to have, yeah. you know, 10 people in the house. Because they entertain just themselves. Have, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, what and, you, you know, and also uh, one thing with Amit's mom is, is she really, like he said, I like she ran the business. She kind of ran Frank. She ran all the kids. But she also like she she did the grocery shopping like she didn't farm that out to a bunch of yeah. assistants. Like I remember a lot of memories of going to the grocery store <laughs> with your mom or you or your yeah. mom and your brother and, you know, her sort of sending us around the store with tasks and 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 Gail, because she had so many people to feed. She would walk. We would walk out of there with three grocery carts full. Of yeah. food. I think that's why she would bring. But, but here's what's a lot bananas. <laughs> yeah, think, look, I have a Tahoe, right? And I'll go to the supermarket with two, like, you know, two cartons uh, or, or, or whatever they're called, uh, you know, carts of groceries. And I get the look from people they're like, wow, you having a party? I'm like, uh, nope. No, I, I like, I just don't know how to cook for, for, you know, <laughs> four people in the house. Like I always cook like the, the, the 30 people. Cause I'm so used to visually seeing giant pot, make a giant pot of chili and she means nuts as an example. Anywho, uh, but but we never had a big truck. So Gail would take so a couple of us. Yeah, she had the beamer. She had the rolls. Yeah. Right. So you would be in the car <laughs> like holding and like la- yeah, laying <laughs> groceries. It was fucking insane. And the worst part about it <laughs> is that uh, the house was like a, it was this compound. So y- when you brought home the groceries it wasn't like easy to bring them into the kitchen it was like yeah. fucking hiking up a mountain windy staircase <laughs> yeah it, and it took like an hour to unload the car to get you know is this fucking nuts i hated that <laughs> yeah what do you and think their parents so creative was it was your grandparents uh, creative people were they kind of a, the same as hopefully what you're saying too is telling them hey try this and try that build this play this I don't I don't really know because I, I don't have memories of my, um, you know, my on my mom's side. I just know stories about uh, my grandfather, who, which is pretty interesting. I mean, he invented the first atomic submarine or was wow. one of the inventors, the Polaris sub. He he helped pioneer supersonic flight. Just recently, they decommissioned like you can look up Aquatone like at Area 51. Just recently, I'm seeing these like, declassified cool. like documents. So John Klein Slotman Jr. is my grandfather. And he's, you know, he was a commander or a captain or something and involved in some, he's like, a, he's like James Bond, right? But Super also was awesome. a scientist. My mother was at Area 51. Uh, like I was saying, she was in Roswell. And uh, one of the things that she got into trouble for was hitting... Um, a boy over the head with a hammer and also getting into trouble for climbing like a water tower with this kid, right? Damn, go mom. Come to find out later um, in this this community, and I think you can even look all this up and you're going to see some interesting names that uh, that boy's father, um, you know, uh, was Mr. Morrison. So the kid that my mother hit in the head with a hammer was Jim Morrison. No. Jim Morrison from the doors. 
And they met years later because my mother was she had an apartment above Book Soup and uh, in in Los Angeles where Jim Morrison would hang out and kind of read and um, and you know uh, the, I mean this is just crazy military stories military histories so I didn't know my grandfather on my mother's side I got to know my grandmother on my mother's side very well loved her to pieces cool I have crazy stories about her but then on my dad's side never met my grandfather on my dad's side. He was also in the military. Um, I think that he had some creative tendencies. You know, he was musical a little bit and, but he wrote like books on gambling. Right. Um, and, uh, and I've recently found letters from, from my, my, my dad's mom and dad and the correspondence is, is pretty, um, uh, it's interesting. It's not like, I love you. And when are you coming home? I miss you. It's, it's none of that. Right. It's, yeah. it's very different than how, you know, we were raised, I would imagine. Um, and my, on my mother's, on my father's side, his, his mother, I just remember that always being really challenging to see her. And I really loved her because she was my grandmother, Yeah, uh, but she wasn't very, a, she wasn't a very talkative person, but she loved to give us entomans. anything, you know, is this tutu uh, you're talking about? No, Tutu is on my mom's side. We call her Tutu. Okay. Her, her name is Laura. Laura. Um, but but Rose Marie, my grandmother, my dad's side, she, you know, they were Italian, you know, and and my... Um, she bring you intimates? Well, like, um, so where, where Frank and I, you know, we went to country school, the preschool where, where you know, earlier in today's interview, where we're talking about that was right. right around the, right around the corner. I could walk from my preschool to my grandmother's house, which I would do actually quite often. That's cool. And, you know, so I would go over there and she didn't really talk all that much. And she didn't really hang out with me or play with me or any of those kinds of things, but she would give me some like nutter butters or some entomans. And I, and that was like kind of a big deal. I'd be stoked to get yeah. some sugar. Nutter butters were great. Yeah, but it wasn't like come sit on my lap or like there were no tickles or it was pretty, you know, like okay, uh, I'm I'm a little kid and I can't wait for my mom to come get me because you know nothing's happening over here. You know, so was your mom friendly with Jim Morrison? Yeah, that's neat. I think I don't know. I think he was kind of a dick from all accounts, but he's, he's yeah. cool. <laughs> that's neat. All right, uh, you know, I I got I got to sp- I got to spend time with his family. And tell the, tell them that story about how my mom, you know, hit hit him over the head with a hammer, and that was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah that'd be really good, fun. Good group of people. Oh, that's cool. Everybody loves Jim Morrison. Frank, so um, your book here, the Ramones book with uh, Mr. Monty Melnick. What's your favorite part of the book? Because everybody loves a good Ramones. Um, <clears throat> Monty has so many great Ramones stories if and for those that don't know Monty was their tour manager and the Ramones had sort of an unusual thing in that for the entire you know 26 years or so that the band was a functioning touring band they had one one tour manager from gig one to the last gig I think he missed two or three along the way when he you know had a was sick or something but so one guy essentially saw nearly every gig they they ever did so he's got an unusual perspective on the band um i think my favorite story is there was 
he was on the road with them and they all got off at like a convenience store, a gas station or something. And the whole band is in there and they all have their matching leather jackets and their matching pants. And, you know, they all like Joey's kind of tall and hulked over and sort of, you know, Mongoloid looking. And yeah, I mean, amazing. But like the Ramones didn't necessarily look like rock stars. You know, they look kind of like weirdos. And and all I know, Monty tells this story where uh, an old lady walked up to him because she sort of saw the four Ramones, you know, milling about the convenience store. And she came to him and she goes, it is so nice you take these challenged young men and you you know you give them a life you take them out you know, you take them in but she thought they were all you know mentally uh diminished shall we say um so i just love the wow. fact that like to the layman they just look like a group of like short bus short bus riders um but i i think the most interesting thing to me about the ramones is that and and a lot of folks don't necessarily know this is that um johnny and joey we're both in love with the same woman and she started off as Joey's girlfriend, but Johnny ended up essentially stealing her from Joey and ended up marrying her and spending the rest of his life with his, the love of his life, Linda Ramone. Um, and you know, that was his wife for the rest of his life until he passed away. But that was also the love of Joey's life. And Joey never, forgave Johnny for stealing his girl. And so somewhere around the time of the filming of Rock and Roll High School and the making of the album End of the Century with Phil Spector, which was already a <clears throat> sort of a tumultuous time in the band's history, because, you know, they were working with Phil Spector and we all know what kind of personality he had. But also Joey and Johnny were having this uh, friction over Linda and Johnny essentially won. Uh, and Joey never forgave him. And for the entire rest of the band's history, which went on for another 15 odd years, they barely spoke. Wow. And when you think about, you know, a band like the Ramones, this wasn't a band where, you know, this wasn't a band where they rode on separate tour buses. They were in a van. And this wasn't a band where you could afford to like, you know, oh, I'll be in this dressing room while this guy's in this dressing room and we'll just meet on stage and pretend like we love each other. Like these guys never really made it in the sense that, you know, we think of big bands of their level making it when they were functioning. They got really big later when after they'd all broken up and the band had died. I mean, the band broken up and the guys had passed away. Then they started making money. But when they were doing all that hard touring that you think of the Ramones as that hard touring rock band in the 80s, the 90s, those guys didn't talk. Then now they would talk. They would talk in the sense that they would talk business. If they had to write a record, they'd get through the whatever process they needed together or with other writers. So, I mean, they were smart enough to realize, like, we're in a band, we're in a business. This is how we make our money. You know, we're not going to break this up over this this personal issue. But the personal issue was huge. And sure. one yeah. that they never and that was one that they never got over and the band and they never reconciled. So two thirds of the history of the Ramones involves the two main guys, the two main writers, the two main visionaries. I mean, you know, of course, there were, Dee was a huge writer in the band, but um, being completely at odds and not talking at all. When I toured with Poison, I never saw CC and Brett ever together ever talk well, have you met cc deville the guy's a nightmare who wants to hang out with cc but i love cc actually to be honest i actually know cc fairly well and he's a delight 
He's like a great guy. I, I think he's a, he's a musical genius, man. His knowledge of music is so it's so huge. And in my book, uh, there's one of the big things everybody says, you know, so do you and Cece still talk a lot? And I'm like, no, it's, he's, no, no, I don't. And they're always like blown away because when I talked about him throughout, I talked, I, I revered him. I, you know, as a sober guy, he was really cool as a as a mess up. I, I never knew him. So I, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. And this involves uh, your brother, Amit, which is so um I he never he never liked CC's playing. No, I know I he didn't. Think. But I'm I so so I um I which dragged, by the way would which would affect how I felt about guitar players because I'm like I'm gonna listen to my brother, but I I kind of do go back to Phil Campbell. Uh, is it Phil Campbell from Motorhead? Is that do they have the same last name or am I fucking this up, Phil? Because uh, there's Phil Campbell from Motorhead. From, uh, yeah, Phil, but it's also Phil Campbell. From Def Leppard, do they have the same last uh, name? No, Phil Collin from Def Leppard. Oh no, no, you're no, you're right. Phil Campbell from Dio, who is now in Def Leppard. Yes, you're right. I never thought about that. Okay, no, so Vivian Campbell. Sorry, we're messing. I up. get this confused. Vivian Sorry. Campbell is Def Leppard. Okay, so Phil uh, <clears throat> is who I love. Um, who's a wild man as well. He he's the guy that really transformed my opinion of of uh, of Cece. Um, and I do think that to, to your point, Joel, that, um, you know, he doesn't get enough credit and that is a very dysfunctional situation. I don't know enough about it, but with poison and all of that, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just, know I, that- I dragged Dweezil to go see mm-hmm. poison at the country club when they were still a local band. I think they might've been signed, <clears throat> but they didn't have a record out or anything. And I, so I had gone to see them and back in those days, bands would sometimes put their phone number at the bottom of their flyer and be like, call the poison hotline. Come check the boys at the poison mansion. <laughs> and I had gone and seen poison. And I was like, those guys are awesome. I could call this number and talk to them. I so remember I, I called the poison hotline and I literally said, um, hi, my name is Frank Myers. Brett Michaels there. And they're like, hold on, kid. Hey, Brett. Some kids on the phone with you and a young unsigned Brett Michaels like, hey, man, what's going on? Yowza. And I was like, hey, Brett. And I was so nervous that I wrote down questions like, do you also think that Hanoi Rocks and the New York Dolls are cool? Ba ba ba. You know, like, what do you think of Susie Quattro? Like trying to think of like, what yeah. questions would you ask a glam rocker? And so. Brett said to me, I, uh, hey, man, are you coming to our, see our next show at the country club? And I went, uh, uh, yeah, of course I am. And he goes, tell you what, you come early, meet me in the parking lot, four o'clock, you're going to become a roadie. So I went at four o'clock and the poison van pulled up. He handed me a Tom Tom, said, walk through that door. I walked through the door. The lady handed me an all access pass and he goes, cool, you're done for the night. Have fun. And he just let me hang out and watch poison play. So I cool totally blown away thought they were incredible i go running over to the zappa compound and i go dweezel have i got the band for you you're gonna love these guys you can see where this is going you're gonna love this guitar player now i of course loved the new york dolls and Susie quattro and all this glam yeah. rock stuff dweezel was more into docking and rat and so he wasn't into sort of the like simplicity punk rockiness of some of that glam rock stuff yeah. that i was feeling at the time so now here's the other thing I didn't realize that when a flyer said doors at eight, that the headliner was probably not on till midnight. <laughs> so I told Dweezil, we I got to go take you to the, see this band Poison. They're so great. 
Bam Magazine says that the show starts at eight. So we should probably get there at, oh, I don't know, 730. Yeah. And Dweezil, just taking my word for it, was like, uh, OK, I guess. So he I couldn't even drive yet. He drove us to the country club. It, the, so he's driving in his blue he, in his Beamer. Blue Beamer that he bought. Yep. And yeah. by the way, it's still daylight. It is yeah. six hours before Poison went to the city. We show up empty. The band's barely even there. But again, I didn't know any better. I made us stay and we got a VIP table and we sat there for four opening bands. Wow. Just and and Dweezil was just famous enough to be totally annoyed with all the people coming up. Oh, hey, man, you Dweezil Zappa from MTV. He's like, yeah, what are you doing here? My fucking friend Frank dragged me, me here, here for five hours day. before a band I've never heard of is playing. And then they finally went on at midnight and we were just so beaten down by shitty opening bands at that point. They went three songs and he just turned. He's like, are we can we go now? Are we done? Really? This is awful. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, I remember some, you know, like after the after that right some feelings <laughs> but then i but then i remember brett coming to the house and and hanging out i i, I, didn't I, you uh, I, I was the one i introduced brett to moon uh yeah. on we we did an mtv sh- when dweezil was hosting mtv at some point they but, did a but, special but, on the sunset strip and i yeah, took frank, him down but Go frank, ahead. don't don't you remember i want to say it was you moon myself Brett Michaels after an MTV music video. Oh, yes, awards. yes. And and I just remember walking and Martha Quinn. Martha Quinn was so there. we're with like Brett. But dude, you and I do you remember we we like it was a freak out moment. We uh, we met. Um, why am I blanking? I, 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 this is embarrassing. Well, I, I remember. remember meeting a very young Axl Rose and Slash at that show who were so young and unsigned. They were. They were stealing bread from the craft services table and stuffing it in their leather jackets to go home and eat dinner later. Well, that's what I remember that that happened. But also, why can't I remember the lead singer's name from Metallica? It's embarrassing. Oh, James Hetfield, James. (laughs) And and uh, so we we were, you know, we were with the lead singer from Poison, who I was really concerned because I don't know. He he's he had to take like insulin medicine unless yes. he was yeah, heavily diabetic. Yes. Yeah. So like really at do. that moment, like I was like, what does that even mean? I was concerned. I had all these feelings. There's James. He's drinking a beer. And I'm like, holy bananas. And we had like free reign of Universal Studios Hollywood walking yeah. around for some after party. Do you remember that, Frank? I absolutely I totally remember that. I also. So I remember it so well. I remember that Brett um, had leather pants with his own face painted on the like the right thigh. So like you'd look at Brett and then you'd look yeah. down and Brett was looking at you from his thigh. Like I'd never <laughs> seen it. And this but, is so they weren't that they weren't really famous yet, but they were big rock stars. But the way that he was with you, like, hey, come down, kid. Like that's, you know, that's a guy who has. Who knows what like had a, probably had a good childhood, you know, I'm guessing. Right. And and that's that's pretty awesome to to, you know, to to remember you, to take care of you. And I remember meeting him and he, and I just thought he was he instantly felt like an older brother. It was like one of the coolest guys, one of the nicest so, people you'll meet. Yeah, Great, nice great, guy. great memories 
um, and not like a ego or anything. And not at all. I mean, from when I worked from like, not at all, just, and also years after that, um, there was a club in the Valley. In fact, I, I specifically remember you and Dweezil coming to see my dopey glam band at the time. FM Um, station, FM station. Yep. (laughs) And CC used to hang out at FM station a lot. And there would be these sort of jam nights with all the local hair metal stars. And I remember that, um, who is that guy that uh, co-wrote all those Guns N' Roses songs? Not Del James, but the other he wrote The Garden and um, there was is a he? dude who Stradlin? no wasn't it, no he wasn't in the band but he co-wrote a lot of their songs. I'm specifically was, wasn't it the guy he's like also a member of the Mulholland Tennis Club. His dad was there all the time. I think so. Yeah, he, he well Wes Arkeen that was his name. So Wes oh, yeah. Arkeen was a guy who was hanging out with Guns N' Roses and writing and occasionally at these these no bozo or these jams at FM station, like CC and Wes would show up and there'd be these jams. And I remember my band uh, played at one of the, I don't even think of it as FM station, but that's where I met CC. Anyways, my band played one night and CC came up to me and we had a song. We still do it. It's a sort of a power. This is the street walking cheetahs. It was early days of the street walking mm-hmm. cheetahs, maybe the mid nineties. And I think we before, played before you had like a real sit down with Dweezil and I to decide on the name of your band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and so the, it was an early Cheetahs gig and somehow CeCe was there and I had met him years before at FM station. So we kind of sort of knew each other, but he came up to me after the gig and we had a song called Lookout and it was a very cheap, tricky sort of power pop sounding song. And CeCe came up to me and again, you know, keep in mind, like CeCe is a big deal rock star. So like yeah. forget, you know, whether you like poison or not like the guy's got a legit career right and he came up to me and this was sober cc not fucked up cc i'd met back in fm station but this was sober cc and he came up to me and he goes your band is great what was that third song you played i go we look out and he goes who wrote that and i go i wrote that and he goes that's a great song and i'll never he goes that's your talk dirty to me that lookout that's your talk i got talk dirty to me you got lookout that's your song okay yeah okay yeah. <laughs> about a year later i'm at another gig at the roxy and i see cc backstage and I, we kind of lock eyes and he goes you you you're that fucking guy and i go i what and he goes the what the, the lookout you're the lookout guy you look out yeah. And I go, yeah, I wrote that song. Look at it. This guy, fucking guy here, he could write a song. <laughs> I love CC, man. I, I feel like, I, 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 feel like I feel like, let me just see this. I, I feel like I have his number in my phone. Let's get him on the line. I have I it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, and I don't. That is a big disappointment for me. I can give it to you after, unless you changed it again. No, your your impersonation of him puts a smile on my face because he's he's like a Sunset Strip Joe Pesci. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) That's so accurate. Yeah, he's he's a good dude. He's well. There there are other bands that you know in hindsight that um, you know I'm like oh I should have liked them more and I shouldn't have had such an attitude like a heavy metal attitude like that band's cool and that band sucks, but but there is still one band. You know that I just and and some people like them, but I I just the way I compartmentalize their sound. I'm a massive Tom Kiefer Cinderella fan. Sure. Massive. Sure. Okay. You know? And stuff. I loathe Britney Fox more than any other band because they're like a uh, shitty Cinderella. Yeah, they're a shitty Cinderella. Girl, 
Yeah. Thank you, Frank, for backing me up on this. So, but now, but now here's what's happening in my oh, own no. age. If you tell just, me you're a Britney Fox fan. No, no, no. Okay, no okay. I'm I, I'm saying <laughs> I have like I, I I had zero fucks to give basically my entire life, but something's happened to me where I hate saying, like, yeah, I don't like Britney Fox. Like that that part of me that's like, oh, no, why can't we all just get along and love each other? I do something is happening to me now. And help me, Joel. Help me, Frank. Yeah. Um, where, where, like, I feel like I shouldn't say I that I do not like Britney Fox's music. I, I somehow feel like the world is in a place where, you're like, you're not allowed to hate anything anymore. But God damn it, I hate Britney Fox. <laughs> I do too. I do. And I, and I'll tell you this: uh, over the years, I, I love Kicks. I love oh, Kicks. Yeah. I love. I'm kicks. a Kicks guy. I'm a I, Kicks but, guy. By the way, this is gonna sound fucking crazy. I like Kicks more this is nuts i mean i feel like this is the lie it's coming out of my mouth but it's kind of true i well i should say this i've listened to kicks more than i've listened to acdc oh i, I love ac dude on so i just did this record uh me and eddie spaghetti from the super suckers made a mm-hmm. record together and we cover a kick song off midnight the first, dynamite no it's off the first record it's called heartache and oh, yeah, we yeah. and we got uh-huh. brian foresight from kicks to play guitar on it and he was such a cool guy How that the i was fuck like fuck did i not know that why didn't you call me oh ready for this <laughs> um not so it's a it's a all originals except we do two covers we do heartache by kicks with brian foresight brian damage foresight from kicks and we do my sharona with burton levey the lead guitar player from the knack playing on it that's, That's very cool. Super That's cool. Super but rad. I'm such a kicks nerd that when Brian was so cooperative around playing on our kicks cover, mm-hmm. I, I texted Eddie and I'm like, I mean, we should probably just ask him to play on the whole record if he's willing to do it. And he was like, well, yeah, we should. So I was like, Brian, could I just keep sending you songs and you just kind of play on the record? He's like, yeah, sure. So we got Brian Foresight from kicks all over he's, our record. He's, he's, he's a bad. Awesome. Oh, dude, he's a bad motherfucker. The reason I, mean, I even got into kicks is that I saw an ad in Hit Parader magazine for um, probably, I think probably the Midnight Dynamite record. Yeah. And they just looked cool. And Brian looked like Johnny Thunders and was wearing a New York Dolls T-shirt. And I went, any band that looks that cool with a guy that looks like Johnny Thunders in a New York Dolls T-shirt. That's my kind of scene. That's also like the same year. Didn't Loudness come out with their first record then, too? Their first American record. They did yeah. three or four records in Japanese, of which I have all of. Yeah, fact, no, lo- loudness. I was not like, it, you know, the fact that I liked loudness, right? Was kind of like, why do you like a Japanese heavy metal band? I'm like, oh, because so good. They, they fucking rule. I like the well. Japanese records the best when they didn't even sing in English. But I'll tell you a funny story. And actually, you might not know this one, Amit. Um, I turned your dad, Frank, onto the solo record by loudness guitarist Akira Takasaki, and he dug it. And the background of that is that Dweezil came to my house one day and I was a big loudness fan. I was like, Dweezil, I picked up this record at Music Plus in the import wait, wait, section. Wait, wait, oh, I have to interrupt you real quick. The best thing about going to see Frank and I love I was like, can I go like if, if Dweezil was going to go hang out with Frank? That was like, oh, I kind of got to do like older dude stuff, you know, uh, I, or if I would see Brecken, it was always like, is Frank around? Because can we just look at his Kerrang magazine? Oh, I was big into Kerrang. Yeah. Yeah. Big Which into Kerrang. 
massive deal because I could get my full. He, Frank would tell me all about these metal bands because my brother had very specific tastes. It was Van Halen or Van Halen or the Van Halen. Right. But Frank, Frank, I was into know, like Hanoi Rocks and Venom and Rogue Mail and Hawkwind and, and Tiger. Play Japan. that shit. Yeah, you would play it because you had it. So I, yeah. And so, and so, so Dweezil I, would give you shit though because he wasn't into it. If you were, no, the, I mean, he just Dweezil just had very specific music taste, which was this. I mean, we liked we also liked Dokken and Rat and Van Halen, of course. It's just that I, I think like Omit was into different stuff and I was into different stuff. Um, you guys maybe, have like arguments in the car over what to listen to because I sure as hell my buddies lose? probably, but but the quick story here is that so uh, Dweezil came over to my house and I said, Oh, I gotta play you this album, it's called Tusk of Jaguar by Akira Takasaki. And I played him this really weird piece off it that wasn't even really heavy metal, it was sort of this prog piece. And he goes, Wow, you know who would really like that is my dad. Can I borrow this album and play it for him? And I was like, Yeah, take it. So Dweezil borrowed my copy of Tusk of Jaguar. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, I was over at the house and I was like, hey, can I get that Akira record back from me? He goes, yeah, yeah, uh, I think my dad's got it. And somehow or another, Frank ended up coming over and bringing me the record and being like, hey, man, thanks for like, that's cool. I like this. And and so I have the distinct honor of being the person that turned Frank Zappa onto Akira Takasaki. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but here's the here's the thing that's crazy is like, you know, we probably wouldn't have ever remembered that if we didn't somehow go on this tangent down this rabbit hole with you, with you Joel, C.C. DeVille. Great <laughs> opener. Like, because like, Frank, I mean, it's not, that's probably not something like when was the last time you talked about loudness with that? With I that? forgot completely about that memory till you guys started talking about loudness. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm except for, that's what's so cool about music is when you do. And now you're hearing everything about it and you're like, I got to listen to loudness. It's been yeah. way too many years. I'm going to totally dig it. It's fun. Do you have any stuff in the vault that you wrote with your father that you haven't released yet? Amit? Um, no, I mean like the tracks that people might be aware of that, that have been released, like, like, you know, chalk pie frogs with dirty little lips, uh, or, or, or things I collaborated with my dad on, um, rat tamago. Um, but you know, at some point, I mean, Frank was really fun in that if he, you know, there's like one day where there's this really cool new synthesizer and he recorded each one of the kids, you know, we all had a session where we just played and, you know, I, I honestly don't know if, if some of the things that we were all kind of doing made it onto some other record. I was there when he recorded me on the single rear. Yeah. You know, there's just different, different things that would, that would, that we would do, but uh, we were going to do a doo-wop uh, cover. Frank, Frank loved doo-wop. And he's like, he, he says, Hey man, do you think you could sing like this? I'm like, Oh, sure. Um, it was a very, what era? Uh, was this when you were in Z? Yeah. Yeah, we were gonna we were gonna do some vocals, but it just it didn't it didn't happen. I was practicing on some of the CDs and stuff that he gave me records they liked, and uh, I remember when Z, you guys played a record release show for Confessions at the Whiskey. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Well, that was Dweezil's solo record. But oh, was that I, so, oh Dwe yeah? But you were on you, that record. You were singing for him at that point, though, weren't you? Or you, some of it. Yes, I was on that, but but I don't know. I see. I can't remember if some of the early. I know we played early shows. I uh, remember seeing Dweezil was for music for pets or, or no, for no, no. Horn? This was this was when I remember that Dweezil did a show for Confessions at the Whiskey, 
but you were on that record. And I feel like at that show, at least my memory is that you sang most of it or at least chunks of it. But my my real memory of that show is that Frank had a table in the balcony area of the whiskey to sort of sit down and watch you guys. And so Frank and Gail were there to see you guys. But Gail, as always, was sort of running around and doing yeah. a million things. And Frank just sort of sat at this table to watch the show. And somehow Gail sat my mom at the table with your dad. And despite the fact that we've all been friends for all these years, I don't know that my mom and your dad had ever spent more than two seconds together besides like yeah. picking each other up at baseball games. But somehow my mom and your dad, without Gail there to buffer them, ended up at this table and spent the whole night together. And I just can't imagine what they talked about. Yeah. But so I remember being at the Troubadour. Was that the Troubadour? I, I, no, I really think it was the Whiskey and Les. I mean, there could be other shows, you guys. Yeah. But I remember I have this memory of standing yeah. down at the Whiskey and looking up and going, is my mom sitting at the table with so, Frank? So how long is that going who on? Do you th- who do you think was a tougher hang? I like from your mom's perspective, <laughs> is my dad the toughest hang? Or do you think from my dad's perspective <laughs> was I your think mom? They each the saw each hang? other as the tougher. I, my mom to your dad but could not have been a wonderful hang. And I'm guessing that your dad was probably intimidating to my mom slash, you know, Frank would either Frank could be very comfortable not talking or he if you engaged him he could be super super chatty but i could absolutely maybe see them not speaking a word to each other you gotta ask your mom this i think one of the only times my dad really interfaced with your mom was that this is gonna sound so crazy but one of the only very unusual things that we did as a family because there wasn't like sports was a big deal uh, but we joined the mall holland tennis club and we mostly just so we could eat there privately yeah. right um but i was yeah and to swim and you know it was, it's a great place uh, i actually still we're not members there anymore i would i would like to be um but um uh i was attacked at the mall holland tennis club by a crazy mother who like broke into the men's room and like re- and really fucked me up i don't remember this yeah and um and I, I want to say my dad probably got in contact with your, your yeah, mother. My mom, by to... the way, was the president of the tennis club. And in fact, I think yeah. the reason why you guys ended up there is I think Gail, I think my mom brought Gail there for lunch is just because, you know, yeah. they they for years we were the kids that played together. So my mom and Gail actually were fairly close at some point. But, you know, Frank was always in the studio, so he didn't have much of a relationship with my folks until this awkward night at the whiskey. But um, I think my mom brought Gail there for lunch and Gail kind of thought, oh, this is a good hang for the kids. It's really close. I can bring them here. They can run around. They know other people because we were all friends and some of our family, you know, other kids that we knew went there. So it was like an easy hang for everyone. Weirdly, that place, uh, I can't stress this enough, was some of the only times or, or or the 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 uh the most amount of times we had dinner out with frank uh was was there you know it's it just really strange to kind of roll in <laughs> frank and sweatpants <laughs> well you know? you know and the other thing too is that frank in that context like don't get me wrong there was probably a lot of you know adults from the 60s era that maybe knew who he was but like that wasn't a crowd that was going to hassle frank i'm guessing frank actually that was kind of a comfortable hang for him because he's like no one's gonna talk to me here and the kids love it you know what i mean like he's 
easy hang for yeah. him. Although there was a, there was a spot, there was an Italian restaurant in the valley we used to go to uh, for dinner with your folks a lot. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Many the one on Ventura Boulevard. Loja. La Loja. Yeah. Frank, another Frank owned that place, still owns that place. Frank, if you're ever watching this uh, or listening to this, you know, big, big shout out to La, to La Loja. Delicious food. Old Thank school. you, Frank. Not an Italian, though, but still. <laughs> That's still good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, Steve Allen show way, 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 way back. Was it his bicycle? I've no, I have no idea. I actually don't know. I actually don't know, but you can find that clip for the people who want to know what you're talking about. My dad is a teenager. I think he was 18. He went on the Steve Allen show and, and played the bicycle. Like it was an instrument and you got to see the sort of early machinations of a guy who really was controlling, controlling the room. And as a guest, really kind of took over uh it's it's a it's a cool moment in time. it's such a cool moment it's such a great little clip it's so neat it says so much and so little it's such it's so cool and also not to mention the fact that like he was already experimenting with sound yeah like he didn't just come on the steve allen show and be cute he was literally like messing doing around something yeah. no one had done before yeah. in an audio circumstance you know Absolutely. not not too long after that he was arrested by a super douchey, um, you know, undercover cop, you know, who set my dad up because he wanted to get like a stag film, you know, thinking that Frank, because my my dad opened up money to put, create Studio Z, and uh, you know, my dad, the guy asked him to make a a porno. My dad's like, I can't do that, but you know, I'm like, what what do you need? And he's like, can you make some, you know, make something for me and the lads or whatever the fuck it was. And uh, so my dad just made some a tape of, of a girl making like silly sounds and simulating things like, you know, and edited, edited, edited it together. Uh, no sex, nothing like that. But they arrested him, confiscated his gear, all put him in jail, and put him in jail. It's fucking losers. So what happened to the sound bites? They, 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 you know, never gave him his work back. And I think that that was a lesson for, because he was, you know, they put him in jail. You had to deal yeah, with rough. all of that bullshit. It, he eventually got out. And I in think the movie, he, re, he really does. He kind of says like, that was sort of the beginning of his like anti-authority sort of mindset you know? i think that this is why he cared cared so much about censorship and and helping the music community when the pmrc showed up like think about this you know my dad talks about this a little bit more in his book but you know the pmrc one of the big gripes they had was the song darling nikki right where you know one of the lyrics is like masturbating to a magazine right and you know for one of frank's points was okay if masturbation is not illegal then why you know, if, if you're saying someone is masturbating in a magazine, right? Why are you trying to censor that when masturbation is not illegal? It is not illegal. Why are you trying to make it illegal or shame it just because someone is talking about something that is, you know, human nature, people do it. Why should we be scared of that? Censor it, all of these things. So, you know, and other people just- these And you're asking me if when I masturbate, I think about my dad. Look at this. Full circle. No, Man. I was just no, not even thinking about your dad. I didn't ask you that. I just was wondering if, uh, or did I? I can't remember. Yeah, don't you? Either. Don't you shame me? Did you ever tour? With, did you? Ever, yeah. Did you ever tour with your dad, or was your first time yeah. touring with your brother? You did. 
Oh yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go on. I, there were times where I'd go on stage and dance and I mean, I was never part of the show really, but yeah. But uh, as a family, we, we'd absolutely go on tours. Really exciting. I'd like, I'd, I'd leave school and travel the world and got a totally different perspective than a life in California. And I have so much gratitude because there are so many different people out there with different things that, you know, you know, different cultures, different ways of approaching ideas, behaving, um, you, you know, us in America, you know, we are not the be all end all and, and culturally, you know, I think we could all learn to, to agree, to disagree and to have mutual respect. And I got a big dose of that, uh, through the, the point of view of, of certainly my mother and father's, the way that the, the lessons they taught us to appreciate every culture and everybody of, you know, regardless of where you come from, what you look like, color of your skin, all of that. But, you know, by seeing it in practice and experiencing culturally, things are very different than, you know, living in the Hollywood Hills in California. Yeah. Uh, that shaped my entire world. I'm super grateful for that. I'll tell you back with Poison, that they did a show and it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. And the opening act was, I don't know why they're on the bill because it was all the bands you were talking about, Frank. It was the Turtles, and I don't know who put them on there, but it was Flo and Eddie doing all the Turtle stuff. It was so good because they do a history sure. lesson of what they did. So they yeah. talk about the Turtles, and then they're like, and then we started working for Frank Zappa, and they play all this great shit. And there's there was so much fun, and they had one of the, the I put it in my book, but it's one of the it's probably the best line I've ever heard on stage. And uh, who's the one with the hair? Who's the big hair? Is that Flo? Howard? I don't know. Howard. Howard. Yeah. So he gets up there. He goes, for all you women who came here to fuck C.C. DeVille, we fucked your mothers and your second generation groupies. And then he just walks off the stage and I shit you not. They all got like into a in a in like a, a, a station wagon and we're like in Nebraska or something. And they left. And I remember thinking like that was amazing. But where the fuck are they going? Yeah. Wow. Were those guys hanging out a lot when you were a kid? I mean, they were real. It was such a good show. And CC watched. That was the only time I that I remember CC watched the entire opening act with me because wow. it, it was great, man. Well, I, I mean, I don't remember them hanging out so much as as a kid, uh, but there were so many musicians musicians that came to the house. But I'm personally obsessed with early mother. Certainly the the Mark and Howard years. Um, I mean. It's, it's just crazy how well rehearsed, how great they were, the, the sounds that they were all making together, the comedy. I think that that was a real, a real highlight, a happy moment, um, you know, for Frank, because he loved those guys. Yeah. Why did you guys, uh, so his grave is unmarked. Is there any reason for it? Like any bigger reason? Just don't, or? Just don't want, I'm afraid of you finding out where it is, Joel. So yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> and that's really I don't blame you. You know, I just know how you like to, you know, you you're constantly starving raccoons, putting them in cages and you're into illicit cockfighting and, you know, raising pits. You know, I just don't think I just don't want you to put like a weird encampment or a wet market on my dad's my mother. And that makes friend. sense. You putting a wet market on my on my my parents grave is knowing you the way that I do, I just, I can't live with that idea. So that's specifically, it's your fault. Fair <laughs> enough. 
the question I try to ask everybody. So I was going to start putting together a podcast and my friends now have little kids. And so my friend's fifth grade daughter, she said, um, I think you should ask everybody when they first felt famous. I like it because it's a little girl. She's a fifth grade girl and she was with her friends and they all took their time to I think of a great answer. question. So what is your answer? What, and it doesn't have to be famous and like a bigger idea, something cool. You're on the line to something, Frank, something that just uh, makes you think like I'm cool. Just, just something good. So what you do you go first? Frank? You go first. Or what do you have, Frank? Uh, well, I'm always, I, my whole career has been in that cult hero kind of thing. So in some crowds, I might be famous and in other crowds, totally not famous. Uh, but the first time that I kind of had this moment of, of feeling like, Oh, wow, maybe, maybe people were listening was um, I went to go see the band Turbo Negro, who are kind of this awesome. big Norwegian punk metal band, big cult following. And I went with my friend Ryder, the guitarist of the band Nashville Pussy. And at that point, um, we used to tour with my band, the Streetwalk and Cheetahs. We toured with Turbo Negro. We toured with Nashville Pussy. These, you know, the Super Sucker. These were like the bands that were sort of in our circle. But the Cheetahs had broken up for a few years. I had a kid. I got a day job. I was it was a brief time in my life where I was maybe not grinding so hard in the rock and roll scene. And I sort of just felt at that moment like very disconnected from the scene. You know what I mean? I just felt like, ah, eh, this is what I did a few years ago. No one really remembers that stuff. And so Ryder said, hey, you want to go out and see Nashville or go see uh, Turbo Negro with me? And we went to go see this gig. And a bunch of folks came up to me at the gig and were like, hey, man, aren't you that guy from the street walking cheetahs? And I kind of remember having this moment of going like, oh, maybe maybe amongst this crowd, some folks remember. But this this kid came up to Ryder and started talking to her and then he locked eyes with me and he's a young guy like a 19 year old kid or something he was telling her what a natural pussy fan he was and he locked eyes with me and he goes wait a second are you the singer of the street walking cheetahs and I go yeah and he goes oh my god dude I grew up on your music my dad is a huge cheetahs fan and I grew up listening to the cheetahs and super suckers and turbo negro and here I am at turbo negro and I can't believe I just met you I'm gonna go home and tell my dad I just met Frank Meyer from the street walking cheetahs and again you know like it, I don't walk around feeling like I'm a rock star you know my band never sold a million records we we're never a big MTV band but when you have a moment where someone recognizes you it's a cool thing but but that that thing he said I grew up on your music my dad you raised me on your music that was like a moment where I was like oh man because I was sort of feeling like I'd just done 20 years of hard work and no one gave a shit and no one paid attention because we never had that moment of crossing over and having legit success. But at that moment, I kind of had this feeling of like, well, nah, you know, some people were listening because I don't know, this kid just came up to me and he grew up on my shit. So cool. I don't know that that was the moment actually uh, when I kind of felt like maybe it was worth doing some more gigs with the band and that ended up leading to us getting back together. So that that kid kind of had a little little bit of you know, impact on me because I just went, oh, well, you know, I mean, we did spend 20 years making this music and we did tour the world. And for a second there, I was feeling like no one remembered it. And I was like, well, they, they may not remember it in huge millions, but like some people remember it and that's all right. Damn cool. Yeah. 
So I think that validation, right? I yeah. think is at the core of the question. Like, when did you feel like you were famous? Because I guess it means that someone is acknowledging your that, hard work. Uh, yeah, your hard work. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, I was in a scleroderma foundation when I was a teenager. And Richard Belzer was a comedian I loved. Right? The Bells. I cannot remember the joke that I told him, but, uh, and I think that this is, you know, if I, re- if I'm really unpacking this moment, uh, I told him a joke and he looked at me, I made him laugh really hard. And he was like, you are really funny. Right? Nice. And the fact that he was a comic telling me that, and yeah. I guess in the household I grew up in where comedy was like a currency and I was always trying to make people laugh. And I, and I still think at my core, um, the thing that brings me the most joy is if I can make people laugh weirdly, like as a storyteller, like that's a, that's a joyous moment. And I've, I've tried to make people laugh through music that I've made or been on stage with my brother. And, you know, and in, in all, in all aspects, I think that that's like a pretty good emotion. If you can make someone laugh, that's a I great so. feeling. And that to me was, was an absolute confidence builder game changer for me. So Richard Belzer, I've always had this, you know, kind of appreciation and love for him. And, um, but I also think at that moment, I thought he could have been the lead singer from Shauna Na as well. So just, <laughs> Richard Bowser. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Remember what yeah. was the Bowser move? This one. Yeah. It, it, this something like that. Right. And yeah. then he would just put his mouth open. Yeah. You imagine being so famous that your catchphrase isn't even a phrase. It's just opening your mouth and striking a pose. And people are like, ah, love incredible. that guy. Love that yeah. guy. Wish I had a fucking Sean on that gold twist. jacket right now. <laughs> and when I, had a, I was really friendly with Phyllis Diller. And, wow. Yeah, and she said the same to me. She's told, she told me how funny I was. And I was I was like, well, coming from you, that's the yeah. cool shit. That's I, a that's, funny that's, lady right That there. means a lot, you know. I, I think I had a crush on Phyllis, Phyllis Diller because she was so funny. I always thought she was so, so cool. Oh, yeah, so brilliant. Was. I was a big my first day. I've been with my girlfriend for 10 years. And our first date, I took her to meet Phyllis Diller. To see wow, she, that's she a heavy first date, bro. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, something that we should all watch together. And then I have to, I just have to tell you that my phone is blowing up. My kids need me. So I got to, sure. I got to, I got to exit this, this fucking sure, sure, awesome sure. time. But Joel, we have to do this again. Yeah. But the mad monster party, Phyllis Diller, I was, I was so aware as a kid that Phyllis Diller was the voice because she has this, you know, totally recognizable voice. Um, we need to have a mad monster party, uh, party uh, watch a thon. Yeah. Mad monster party cool. party. Um, how has so, no one rebooted that? I mean, didn't they do that with hotel Transylvania or it, I guess also monster squad, you could say is sort of the same concept. I Bunch mean, of monsters. Is it hotel Transylvania? What's yeah, the thing no, that Adam or, Sandler uh, did? Yeah, no, that's, that's what Adam is. Sandler is the hotel Transylvania. One. Right. Yeah. That just that is, I think, like that is. Well, know, what about ranking. Transylvania six five hundred with uh, Ed Begley Jr. Do, 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 do. That's Jeff what the, that's the what the sound that's the sound, if I recall, that the phone made, <laughs> like you know, uh, in Transylvania uh, six five thousand. Ed Ed, uh, um, who it's it's uh, who Ed Begley Jr. and Jeff Ed Goldblum. Jr. Yeah. Uh, also, and, 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 and uh, sorry. 
this is the nerdiest interview you've ever done, clearly. But <laughs> just because I know Amit and I are brainwaves, I'm going to just say a random thing, and I know he's going to give the right answer. What is the sound that the weird homeless guy in the whiz in the subway with the weird slinky guys, you know what I'm talking about? Terrifying. Yeah, it's the most terrifying. Remember thing. that sound, it's though? Like, <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Sound and image of my entire life is from the movie The Wiz. No, those fucking trash can monsters the in that trash thing. Can and, the, and the weird, he's got those weird puppets that get bigger yep. and they make that. Yeah. I got one final question, but it's an easy one. It better have to do with the movie Super Fuzz. <laughs> it should it that would have been full circle <laughs> so i uh i'm very fortunate and i i uh i told you i was a memorabilia dealer and i have the original handwritten sheet music to pink floyd the wall i have uh, wow. bob ezrin's sheet music and i have michael kamen's sheet music it's roughly 200 pages wow. i know bob i used to work with bob ezrin by the way Ooh, i want to talk right. to him because i want to know why his sheet music's with me and uh, it has you- ace written there it's got to be ace freely's phone number right you can reach all- out to me i can put you in touch with him I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But it's going in the Pink Floyd uh, Museum tour. And I'm wondering if you've ever thought about doing a Frank Zappa museum tour like Pink Floyd's been doing because it's been so well received in so many places. And at the end of the day, it's just fucking cool. <laughs> um, so my my idea of a good time so that fans can have unparalleled access, um, the the you know, it's it is challenging to to organize this stuff. And if you're moving from city to city or staging it, you know, the, first of all, there has to be enough people that want to, to have a Zappa experience, but I've been working on, um, on a way to, uh, you know, there's so many different technologies now to, to kind of do these things virtually. So imagine in a future, if you want to do a crazy deep dive, that's, that's, you know, you can, you can, have that experience in VR or AR or just through your phone is like a magic window where you can expand and contrast, you know, um, or expand and, you know, uh, contract, I should say, not contrast. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, that's the, that is the intention is to, cause we have so much media, we have so much video, we have so much audio. Um, my fantasy is that, you know, someone could actually help me, uh, make all of it available to be experienced, studied, um, for people to enjoy. Um, yeah, but the, but, you know, in the meantime, doing something smaller, if someone was interested, you know, we were, you know, there's, we're talking to like the usual suspects, people ask us for things like the Grammy museum or the rock and roll hall of fame, uh, to have some memorabilia, certain, certain moments, but, you know, um, I want to try to do something that's more all encompassing. You know, cool. Fantasy. Right on that. I, I would be so into that. Honestly, I just <clears throat> such a neat thing, a project put together. It's a lot of work, but I mean like the Tim Burton yeah. one was, it was really cool. You know, it, it was, it was just fun to interact with these people, I guess on a more personal level. I, I don't know. I, like seeing Sid Barrett's bicycle. Oh, fuck. That's just, that speaks volumes of, of cool <laughs> you know a lot of it was burned up in, in a fire but like my fantasy mm-hmm. is every if whoever has ever collected anything from sid and marty croft i want all of that in one place so that i can go see everything from my childhood that i love to this day you know do you guys want to know a weird little sid and marty croft tidbit that i know so 
this is like 20 years ago, uh, our mutual friend, Lindsay Parker and I, Amit, mm -hmm. we yeah. went to go, I, it was at the Writers Guild of America, I think, or the, maybe the Directors Guild, but Sid and Marty Croft showed a bunch of their work and then did a Q&A and sort of talked to the audience about, you know, like the history of, you know, Sid and Marty Croft. And at one point during the Q&A, someone had asked them, you know, um, the Bugaloos. Why? Yeah. What's the deal with the fact that they were all British and the show seemed to have, you know, this British thing going on, but all the other Sid and Marty Croft shows seem to be American. And they said, well, we did that one with this British production company that we teamed up with and we actually shot all that in England. And a funny story is, and I have never heard this story except when they said it live in the room. They said Mick Jagger personally picked the female bugaloo hmm. and everyone was like what what story please and they said somehow mick knew someone that was involved in this and just showed up when they were auditioning the actors for the bugaloos and none of them had a relationship with mick jagger except for whoever the mutual friend was that brought him but mick just because he's mick just sat in on the auditions and didn't really participate much except for when the girl who came on for the Bugaloos role, did her audition mix like, that's your girl. And because <laughs> he's fucking Mick Jagger, they were like, you're hired. Yep. And, he and, was right. And, and he, he was, was right, right for sure. Of course, I'm going to wild, you know, my imagination when I heard this story, it was like, and then part two to that story was he banged her <laughs> that night. <laughs> the Bangaloos. <laughs> the Bangaloos. All right, but, I'm yeah, so, go to your kids, Amit. Mick no, Jagger picked no, the bugaloo. Put you off, Frank. No, no, I was just saying that's a weird. Mick Jagger picked the female bugaloo. You heard that's, it here first. I love that story, Joel. Thank you for having us on the show, and it Frank, was super nice. I appreciate you know, it. You guys take your time. Thank good you. hang. Hey, thanks for watching Party Like a Rockstar. If you're not already subscribed to the Facebook or YouTube channels, do it. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The handle is Party of Stars. Thanks for watching. You'll see you next time.